We are in a series called Friend uh, in the book of James, and we don't have our TVs with us today, sorry about that, and I was reminiscing during worship about what did, what did we used to do before technology would display all of the verses, and what would happen is we would say, like, today I'm in James 1, and then as the preacher, I would just wait five minutes while everybody flipped in their Bibles to find where James was, look in the beginning concordance, and like, figure out, all right, what page is this? And then get there. So we're in James 1, chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 12 today. This is the third week in the series. Uh, and we, we named it Friend because what James is trying to get across is he's speaking to believers, people in the church. And he is saying that you are in the church, but you are still a friend of the world and not a friend of God. And throughout this entire letter to the church, he keeps on pointing out different ways that the church has befriended the world or the sinful systems, the worldly systems, instead of the godly systems and the church that God has set up. And so today we're talking about the crown of life, the crown of life. And that is, again, we're in James chapter one, verses nine to 12. So and if you are with us today and you are not a Christian, you wouldn't term yourself as a believer or part of the church, then as you listen today, you can learn about how Christians think about certain things. What is the difference between Christians and other people uh, and and what sets us apart? Uh, And it's good to kind of understand because James is tired of the church supposed to be acting one way uh, and talking about acting one way, but living a completely different way. So if you are here and you're tired of church hypocrisy and church talking and not doing, then you are in good hands with James. He is also tired of that. And that is why he writes this letter. And so I'm going to read verses 9 to 12, and then we'll jump in. Starting in verse 9, James says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich person boast in his humbling, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Right away, we are struck here with this dualism, with these two types of people, two ends to these people, and two types of friendship. The first person that we meet here that James is talking about is the lowly person. This is the lowly brother or sister. This person is not just lowly in their means. This is not just somebody who is, say, financially poor. But this is somebody who is lowly in all senses. This is lowly in privilege, lowly in position, lowly in power. This is somebody who the world has looked upon and said, you are worthless in every sense of the word. You do not add value to society. You do not add value to what you do. You do not add value being alive. This is the lowly person. The second person James introduces is the rich person. This is someone that is inside the church that is of means. You know, means back then was not only just money. It meant a lot of other things. You know, I think of the Roman Senate. This is the era that they are in. These are people that had not only wealth, but with their wealth came a lot of other things. With their wealth, it came their 
connection to political positions. They were constantly uh, family, generation after generation with their wealth. They were their sons and their sons' sons and their sons' sons were elected to the Senate, elected to the official positions. They were the main landowners. They were the governors over the different provinces. They had the best military positions. They were a shoo-in basically for 99.9% of the elections in Roman history. All the major businesses in Rome were run by these people. In the empire, they were run by the wealthy. Wealth signified more than just money. It signified what the lowly person didn't have, the position, the power, and the privilege. James is bringing this up in the church because he is saying that the worldly, in, the worldly influence has infiltrated the church and how we think about these two kinds of people and how we think about these two ends. He is speaking specifically to the church that has taken these people, the lowly brother and the rich person, and has classified them in the same way that the world has classified them. Lowly and worthy. See, in the worldly system, if you are in poverty, if you are the lowly brother or sister, you have little money, that means that you get little respect. That means that there is no elevation of you. People walk by you in the street. They don't want your autograph. They don't want to stop to talk to you. They don't want to Instagram you. You know, you're not Insta-worthy when they walk by you. That Nobody cares about you. In the world society, right, your, your status, your class depends on how much you have and how much you have of fame and power and position will matter to me and how much I care about you. That's the worldly system. And the worldly system, wealth or lots of money equals lots of respect. Lots of elevation. You get put on a pedestal. Oh, you have how much? Millions? Are you looking for friends at this time? I can submit an application. Can I slide into your DMs somehow? Right, you got 300,000 followers and you said hi back to me. You replied to my comments on Instagram. Wow, I got to go show some. Yo, blue check verified person just retweeted me right now. Right, that is, that is the worldly system that we place status and power and influence and we place all of these great things. We place our care on those of means, those that have. This is part of the world. This is how the world turns. We can be mad about it. We cannot like it. But guess what? Sin has created systems, has created worldly systems, and this is how they work. But James is saying God's system should be different. And it looks like, unfortunately, it's not. See, James shares a reversal that's really interesting. In his reversal, he says, in your reversal of fortunes, what you should do is you should boast. And what he means by boasting is he says, there's a reversal of fortunes that happen in the kingdom of God. And when that reversal happens, you should take pride in that and you should take joy in that. So James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. 
Meaning in the kingdom of God, in the church, how it's supposed to be, is the ones that are forgotten about in society, the ones that are not cared for, the ones that nobody stops to talk to, the ones that nobody actually cares about their name. In the church, in the kingdom of God, God takes those people and He exalts them, He lifts them up, and He calls them sons and daughters. He calls them adopted heirs. He gives them His inheritance. He makes His dwelling in them and says, you are my temple. He says you are loved and comforted and cared for in the kingdom. So your lowly position in the world, when you come into the church, what happens is you are elevated into the church because you came from a system where nobody cared about you. Everybody walked by you and because of what you had in your account meant I didn't want to be friends with you. But James says no that. What happens is when what, what, what should happen is when you come into the kingdom, you are elevated. You are taken in as a son or a daughter, given the inheritance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, whose kingdom is everlasting, owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You are now given reward greater than you have ever imagined. So their status is elevated and they boast in that. So if you are lowly in this world, remember the ways that God knows you. As a church, we should look at people that the world has cast out, that the world says are meaningless, and those are the people that we should take in and elevate and say, you get the front seat. Right In the kingdom, there's a reversal of fortunes. says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's not based off wealth. It's not based off, right? God doesn't do these things based off of your wealth or your job or what kind of position you have or what kind of power you have, but what God's love for you and God's care for you, God's running to you, leaving the 99 righteous is what? Based off your humanity, based off your image bearing. It says that when he created man and woman, he made them in the image of himself. That's all that was needed for God, for us to be exalted in his presence, not based off of what you can bring to the table, not based off of how good you are, not based off of what you have accomplished in your lifetime, just simply based off of having breath in your lungs. James says also, though, that the rich person should boast. So the rich person also should boast and have joy in what is happening but uh, does it make complete sense why the rich person should boast if we remember what we read? Tim Keller, he puts it this way. I love when he says that. He says, God's kingdom is so that those who are lowly in the world should meditate on the ways that the gospel elevates them. And those that are rich in this world should meditate on the ways that the gospel humbles them. Now, why would a rich person be joyful in their humbling? Maybe you are a person here who is of means and you read this and you struggle with it and you wonder, why would I be okay with what is happening? Why would I boast? Why would I be joyful in my humbling? James anticipates this question. I love. He, he knows where this line of reasoning is going to go. And he, he knows and anticipates this and he answers it because he knows that this messes with our value system. 
This messes with the world's value system, so most likely it's going to mess with our value system, our internal north, south, east, and west, right? Saying, like, this doesn't sound right. Why would I be happy about this? Why, why, would, I, why would a rich person be happy and being humbled in the kingdom? Who wants, to be, who wants to rejoice in being humbled at any point in their life? Right? If you've ever been humbled by God, like congratulations, this is probably a hard time in your life. I remember times that I was humbled by God. Those were not fun times in my life. But maybe we'll talk about how they became good times in my life. What's great about this is we can be... We cannot be rich and still be mad at what James is saying. We cannot be people of, of wealth or of means and still look at what James is saying and say, well, I don't like that. And what I like about that is what that does and the reason why we can do that is because what that reveals in our heart is our earthly pursuit. Like our desire of what we want ourselves to be in the future. And so we're getting mad at a possible future version of ourselves. Of what we want to happen. So not liking this doesn't reveal whether we are rich and poor, but it reveals our pursuit. Either God or money and the things that come with it. Fame, power, and privilege. So again, why would we be joyful when our worldly position, our worldly privilege, our worldly power, the things that we work so hard for is diminished in the kingdom of God. It doesn't seem to make sense. Well, James explains. He moves on and he says, Because like a flower of the grass, the rich man will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Friendship with the world says this. Friendship with the world says, your right is the pursuit of happiness. Does that sound familiar? Your right is the pursuit of money, the pursuit of status, the pursuit of power. This is our society's end goal. It has been the end goal of societies for thousands of years. How do I accumulate all these things? In every generation, it looks different. Today it may look like being an influencer. It may look like having a lot of people wanting to be us. It may look like having that job that everybody else wanted. It may look like a lot of various things, but it is the same thing that has plagued people in a sinful system of the world since the beginning of sin. Society's end goal... Our nation was built on what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if your heart is set on pursuing the things of this world, the wealth of this world, it will not be set on pursuing what? God. And that is what James is getting at. But why should someone pursue God instead of riches? If they are a Christian, why? Doesn't make sense. I love the, the, the quiet right now. Whenever you talk about money in the church, there's intense quiet in the church. 
James's argument on why we should pursue God instead of money. The reason why, he says, the reason why this is so important, his argument of why this is being a friend of the world, as someone who pursues these things, that their life's aims are these things, their heart desires after these things, first and foremost, this is at the throne room of my heart, fame, position, privilege, and power, the things that come with wealth, the riches of this world. The reason why James says you actually don't want to pursue that, that thing and what you do want to do is pursue God He argues that riches are not eternal and that they will disappear. At the end of life, all the things that you have amassed, all the things that you have gained, all the ways that they have made you feel and look desirable, James says those things will fade away. Because like the grass that withers away and its flower that falls and its beauty that perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. I love that line, in the midst, fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Because when you begin to pursue money, when that is your ambition, it doesn't matter how much you have. You can reach every goal that you thought about, that you have, but when your pursuit is money, when your pursuit is the things of this world, the lust of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, as John puts it. When these things are the things that sit on the throne room of your heart, they are a never-ending pursuit that will never stop. Don't take my word for it. John Rockefeller, considered the richest man in modern history, Bezos, Bill Gates, they got nothing on this man. He was the first billionaire when $20 could still buy you an ounce of gold. Like, if you don't know what an ounce of gold is, go look up online how much an ounce of gold is worth. Or if you ever try to buy a gold chain, you understand the price of gold. Right? Rockefeller was the first billionaire in modern history. Considered, I believe, last time I looked at calculations, he was worth something around 300 to $400 billion with inflation today. So even the richest person alive, Bezos, is, if he's lucky, only half of the net worth of Rockefeller. Somebody asked Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Rockefeller responded, just a little bit more. (laughs) Here's the richest man in modern history, more than anybody has accumulated even alive today. And when asked how much more, how much, you know, when do you stop? When is enough enough? Rockefeller revealed his heart in that moment. Just a little bit more. Why? Because the pursuit never ends. When your end goal is all of these things, when your end goal is riches, that will never satisfy you. And James is arguing that you can pursue something that will satisfy you. You can pursue something that will actually be enough for you. That when you obtain it, that you will never want anything else anymore. That actually the worldly system, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of wealth, what we today call greed, is actually at the center 
of what is wrong many times with society. This pursuit of power, this pursuit of privilege, this pursuit of money. Right? If you look at the crazy things that happen, I don't know, there's a show on uh, CNBC, I think, or one of those NBC channels, uh, where they just go through, you know, like every week, they have a new fraud episode. And I watch those for fun because they're fascinating, uh, but they're crazy. What the, the pursuit of money, what it will do to somebody. Where literally they are, they are robbing people of their retirement, robbing people of their homes, robbing people of their life savings just because they cannot satisfy the desire of constantly wanting more. And James says, in your pursuit, in your desire of wanting more, at the end of the day, what will happen is you will fade away amidst your pursuit. You will disappear. You will come to nothing. You will be like the grass who when the sun comes up in a scorching heat, withers and dies and disappears. So James says there is a different pursuit that is being offered to you. And I want to give you an example of a person of means, a person of wealth that pursues God. Because it's very easy to walk away from this and say, well, you know what? All money is bad. And a lot of people misquote a scripture where it says uh, money is the root of all evil, and that's not true. It is the desire for money. It is the root of all kinds of evil, these desires that we have. So there's a family friend very wealthy person. I don't know. Anybody have a family friend that is, well, everybody knows like this person is of means, right? We, growing up, we had a family friend that was of means. And, you know, if you, this man is a Christian, has been a Christian for 20 years. And in my life, he has been an example of what it means to pursue God and be able to have wealth. You know, it's, What's interesting is the Bible says many times over that this is a very hard thing to do because money tempts us in our life to replace everything that God does in our lives. So that's why I tell people when you seek first the kingdom and you also want to be somebody that can be a giver, which is a spiritual gift, somebody who is rich of this world but in the church can have the spiritual gift of giving, Right? I, I say that if that is your calling, then I believe you should go for it because otherwise I've seen that destroy people over and over and over again because it comes with a lot of temptation. So here's this person in my life, close family friend, who is a person of means, a person of wealth, You know, has kind of the things that people want, the extra properties, the extra income. The, you know, the second year of his job was able to pay off all of his student loans with one check. You know, that kind of... You know, think about that. Imagine just with one check, you paid it all off and it's gone. Like that is the kind of means that the person has. But if you met this guy in life, you would never know. You would never know. Because there is a difference between pursuing money and the worldly system that it comes with and pursuing God and having money as a resource to use for the kingdom of God. So the three things that I love about this person is whenever I hang out with him and go to his house, he is the most serving guy I have ever met in my life. 
Like so much so that I feel awkward sometimes in his house. Because when I go there, I, am, I, I feel like that I own the house and he's a servant in the house. <laughs> that like really like he, he will remember what kind of coffee you like. He will remember what kind of food you like. What kind of orders you had at your restaurant and have it pre-prepared for you. So that when you come and you sit down, the service begins. Feels as good as a church service sometimes. <laughs> right? That when you go, I've just never been amongst hospitality like this before, where you would actually think, like, are you hired help in the house? Like, if you didn't know that he owned the house, that would be the kind of thought that was going through your head when you sat down with him. The second thing I love about him is he is the most generous person I know. So he goes to his own church and he tithes to that church. But on top of that, he also gives to our church here at Zion. He gives to my dad's church at Resurrection. He gives to my mom's nonprofit that she owns and runs. And then also on top of those, gives to other nonprofits and organizations that he loves. One of the most generous people, the pursuit of God will change how you think and view wealth and money. So that instead of going from a place of hoarding it and and acquiring it and competing with others to get it, you realize that you serve the God who has given you all that you need and that your job now is to build the kingdom of God with all the things that he has given you. And so he views this, this is not my money, I'm just a steward of what God has given me. And so this is God's money. The third thing I love about him is his unassumingness. That if you were to meet him on the street or hang out with him, that you would never know who he was or what he did. Why? Because it is not his job to flaunt everything that he has. You know, he doesn't roll up with the number one beamer in the world and just say like, hey, 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 look at me and look at what I have and look at what, you know, the things that I have acquired in this life. But he rolls up in his normal cars and his normal clothes and all the normal things of life and will have a conversation with you no matter who you are and care for you, love you and serve you. I've seen people... Look at God, pursue God and have these things in their life and drop crazy checks and just say like, I mean, I've seen people write a check for $250,000 for $50,000 and just say, you know what? God is putting it on my heart to give this to you or God's putting my heart to donate this to this organization. How does that happen? Why is that? It's because a godly understanding of wealth is not to pursue it. A godly understanding of wealth is to use it for the kingdom. Not hoard it. Not do everything I can to keep it, but to give it. So this is something that Heather and I try to practice in our business where every year, at the end of the year, look at our profits and try to give away 50% of the profit from the business because when we look at this, these are godly principles that we see in our life that this is God, this is not our money. We are just stewards of what you are giving us. 
And so where are you calling us to give this year? Who are you calling us to bless? Who, what places do you want us to sow into? You know, many times, this is gonna, this is gonna be harsh. I'm just prepping you for that right now. This is gonna hurt a little bit. Many times is what we have is we have a, a, we have a lot of Christians in the church who don't have means, but all they are doing is asking God for more money. And it's not so that they can use it to build the kingdom of God, but it's so that they continue to pursue their own unrighteousness, not to give, but to take. And I believe that James is calling out those people just as much as he's calling out the people of actual means that still pursue it. Because what he's looking at is our pursuits. And James warns us against them. Many of us in our pursuit of worldly gain and elevation are friends with the world. We longing for significance, we look for fame. Longing for comfort, we look for wealth. Longing for control, we look for money. When God is saying, I will give you all that and more. Your significance, your comfort, your control. I have all of that in my hands. I am the one you should look for when it comes to elevation from your lowly status. Don't look to money. Don't look to fame. Don't look to position. Don't look to power. So what James's answer on why the rich person should boast, should have joy in his or her humbling is this, because your worth is not in your riches. And thanks be to God that it is not. That my worth is not found in what I have because all of what I have is passing away. All of what I have will disappear. This is good news. That Jesus says the things that we have were of this world that moth can come in and destroy, rust can come in and destroy, a thief can come in and steal it. All of these things can happen. What we have a lot of today can be gone in an instant. And if our worth is in, our, in those things, if our pursuit is in those things, when they are gone, whether here on earth or when we stand before Jesus and we have nothing but our life and our faith, when we stand before him, thanks be to God that our worth is not found in the things that we have acquired and the things that we have. Thank you, Jesus, that you humble us if we are rich. So that when we stand before you, we can stand humble before you. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, our God, will stand forever. All all the things we see around us, at one point they will fade away. Everything that we have, at one point, it will wither away. And there's one thing that will remain when that happens, and that is the word of God. I thank God that my worth is not in my bank account, because one day my bank account is going to disappear. I thank God that my worth is not in my job, because one day I won't be able to work. 
I thank God that my worth is not in my possessions because before God, those possessions will not be there with me. But when I have endured the test of worldly pursuit, what I do gain is greater than anything the world could have offered me. James says in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Church, there are two ends. The friends of the world, their end is disappearance, fading away. The friend of God, their end is the crown of life. The one who pursues the things of the world that person will fade away. That person will disappear. The one who endures with joy under trial to have a perfect and complete faith, that one will receive the greatest reward, the crown of life. Literally, this crown of life that James talks about is the wreath that was given to the Olympians or the politicians after accomplishing something great. It was the highest honor in Roman society that you could receive. It was the thing of significance that they thought, the thing that would be everlasting, the thing that all people pursued for was that crown, that wreath. And the crowds would cheer and people would remember your name. It would be etched in stone forever. James says, well, if you want the true crown of life, let your pursuit not be in the riches of this world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, but let it be in God. James is calling on the church to make their pursuit one of eternal significance instead of material insignificance. I pray that we as a church can respond to that call. That if we are lowly here, that we can thank God, Father, I thank you that you exalt me in your kingdom, that now I do have worth, that when people said I was worthless in you, I have worth. But if we are here and our pursuit is of riches, that we can go to God and say, you know what, this world has called these things worthy that you have called worthless. But I repent before you today. And that is James's aim. It's repentance in the church. And God, I can recognize right now what you're doing in my heart, that I have had these things that I have been pursuing. Maybe I've been successful in pursuing them. Maybe I haven't been successful in pursuing them. But the pursuit of my heart has been the same. Power, position, significance, status, fame, money. Jewelry, cars, clothes, all of these things, God, I have been pursuing them. But I lay that down today. I lay it down in repentance and I say, God, I thank you that you have chased down my heart, that in the darkness 
and pursuing money. I was ready to fade away, but I boast today in my humbling before you, the realignment of my heart and my repentance and say, God, I was wrong. And thank you, Jesus, that I was wrong because if I stood before you thinking that I can bring all these pursuits and all these things with me, I would have been wrong and I would have faded away and I would have disappeared. But now I can humbly stand before you in repentance and know that when I stand before you, instead of standing and being threatened with fading and disappearance, I can have the crown of life be placed on my head. Thanks be to God. Will we be a church that can have the hard conversations in our heart and repent before God and realize, God, I have been pursuing the wrong things. James's aim in this book is to reconvert the converted. We keep talking about that. He is saying, yes, you have confessed Jesus. Yes, you are in the church. But somewhere along the way, your heart has wandered from pursuing God. Your heart has wandered from its first love. And I am telling you this to bring you back into alignment of what it looks like to be the church. That if you are lowly, you are exalted. And if you are the rich person who pursues, you are humbled. And in each one of those scenarios, we boast before others and say, thanks be to God. That you are realigning my heart so that the reward that I receive is better than any job that I can have, is better than any, any pieces of clothing I can have, is greater than any car, is greater than any material thing greater than any bank account, the reward I receive in heaven will be greater than anything this world has to offer. Can you stand with me to pray?